0: So let's go ahead and um, get started this evening. One, just looking back a little bit at our at our previous two chapters. we starting chapter three this evening, and um, I trust that you know my my heart's desire is 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 really a demonstration of my love for the church and how God has divinely instituted things to to fulfill His purposes, and He does that through the church, and it's just the 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 joy and and beauty of of seeing what God has designed for us in in missions and how to fulfill the Great Commission, and I know that it hits a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of topics, it hits a lot of issues, it hits a lot of experiences, but I want to really filter that through through the through the Word of God, through the church, and then understand what I'm experiencing after that through through that prism. We've been talking about in the in the first chapter, we walked through how the church is the exclusive recipient of 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 god's revelation and and we're in the church age and then second chapter we talk about the pillar of truth and i i want to do two things one at the end of our time i've the church used to function with a missions committee this missions committee were a bunch of uh brainiacs who get together once a month to discuss missions and uh Advance the cause of missions, and we 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 changed that around to really having um, a committee. Once we went to the elder model, we changed that to uh, elders giving direction to missions, and then having a committee that can really be boots on the ground, get things done in the church. So, in that, I I laid out four different areas that people can get involved in the church to promote missions, to bring missions for the church. To there's a there's a lot that can be done to really promote missions in the church and at the end of our time together uh, i'll lay out some of those things and i'm going to be sending those out in the newsletter as well so those who are interested in the church get involved in missions here's how you can do that on our level and there's just tons of tons of things to do there primarily to to bring missions before the church so people can see the need hear the need and get involved and so we'll we'll share that a little bit later i do want to to start by giving you two two examples of of areas that kind of help understand the the framework of our last chapter which was discussing the church as being the the pillar and proclaimer of truth how when you understand God's design for the church and especially as you see even through through Paul given that admonition in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy but just seeing how the church has been given the task of being the defender of truth and the proclaimer of truth and the and missions is the proclamation of truth, and seeing church grow through the preaching and the proclamation of truth. So those pieces are are fundamental. One thing we discuss is when you when the church, who's been entrusted with that, who's been told to handle the truth and equipped to handle the truth, when it's separated from, from missions, how missions has the tendency to drift, because it becomes pragmatic, it becomes uh, cultural, it becomes all these other pieces that, that cause it to go in all kinds of different directions. I'll give you two examples of that. The one something I read this week. Now, this is not. Don't hear me say that I don't like Liberty University. My four kids have gone through there. Three have graduated. One is hopefully will graduate. Uh, but I was reading just interesting. You know how this article I read this past week in, in the Liberty magazine would not have been there at the start of Liberty when it first started. And, and the article in says. Catholic campus ministry. So here you have, here is just a perfect example of what happens when an institution that was once founded through a church now can advertise and promote a Catholic campus ministry. Now, I don't get into debate as to whether or not Catholics are Christians, but it's interesting to see that there's, there's confusion over the The purpose and mission of of the school and this identity and this theological identity and now you're promoting an organization I mean you're not just recognizing they exist you're promoting them and how they grow on the campus and encompassing our, our, our the things that bring us together those kind of things that's kind of very typical of what happens to an organization when they're they're totally separate from a theological base that actually holds them and anchors them in truth another example that that um, I was more directly involved in I will show you just um, a picture of this. The CNEF is a le Conseil National des Evangiles de France is a large evangelical organization in France that tries to unite churches. If you read their mission statement, it's very straightforward. It's I'm sure you could read it right there. <laughs> so the first line there, promouvoir le témoignage de l'évangile en parole and So promote the gospel. The witness the gospel witness in words and acts. And second line, great, right? Notamment, which means particularly l'implantation de l'église, church plants. So he said, hey, our purpose is to promote church plants in France through the proclamation of the gospel. Let I me mean, read this, that's fantastic. So I've worked with this organization a little bit because they're well-known in France. It's one of, the, one of the primary ones that really encompasses a lot of evangelical churches. And then you read in one of their articles, one of their chapters – is a group national de conversations catholique evangelique. So he says they have one chapter, one branch, they have a committee on joint Catholic evangelical partnerships in evangelism. So you're thinking, you know, you're there in France to evangelize the Catholics, for one, and here is a primary association of evangelicals in France, and they have a committee, a joint partnership with the Catholics to discuss what we have in common to evangelize France. Now, I don't know what how you come together with Catholics, and it gives you the members of the committee. So when this first came out, I created a little bit of a stir with some some churches. We looked I looked into a little bit, and on these members, Evangelique, happened to be a member, a missionary from Timberlake Baptist Church. That we support in France. So I wrote the guy and says, hey, do you mind if we meet? Because I don't quite understand the intent of what you're doing. What how does this fit into your to our mission? I mean, so we met up a nice little cafe in Paris, the typical little postcard cafe, and sat out there and had a cup of coffee and discussed for a couple hours and listened to him describe how he believes a number of these these men on this, these Catholic members of the committee we're, we're believers, and they love the Lord, and we have a lot in common, and we could work together for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm thinking, I said, do you think that that's congruent with even Timberlake that supports you? I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you reconcile those two pieces? And what you discover quickly is that what well, the church doesn't understand because they're not here in the field, they're not living what we're living, they're not experiencing what we're experiencing. And all of a sudden there's a real disconnect between theological bearing And pragmatic issues on the field, and so when I talk about the church being an an, an anchor in to hold theological truth, you know, if if this missionary was accountable to a church, I know that any sound home churches have is not going to understand joining up, joining hands with Catholics for the purpose of of gospel evangelization. How does that even work? So then they produced a book that. I talked to him about at the time. There's a more recent book that came out on, uh, you know, how to evangel- evangelicals and Catholics, you know, which means they they uh, appeal to each other, they work together, commonality. This is, comes out of that this came out of that of that committee. So this is not. So when I when I talk about when I kind of reference the role of the church and the the, the pillar, there's real concrete life differences that makes on the field when those two things are separate and that's just a natural outflow of it this again i mentioned like last time this is mainstream problems they're not like oh these are just one one extreme example this is what happens in a common place and so the the need to keep the church as central is is critical to maintain uh the the, the, the purity of the gospel so Let's go to chapter three then. It's kind of um, a couple of things that I ran across and I just want to share with you in light of, of of chapter two that we just completed. Now we're going to walk into the the question of the of the church as an agent of the Great Commission. Matthew 28. You could turn there if you if you have your, your Bible. I give the text here, but there's a little greater 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 context here. What I want to look at this evening is understanding the the nature of the Great Commission to make sure that everything that we do in line after this is, is consistent and congruent with with the Great Commission. The you know the the mandate that's given to us. What is that mandate? Um, and it, again, there there are a lot of things that can be done. There are a lot of things that are done in the name of missions. A lot of things that are that are good. A lot of ministries. But here is at the heartbeat of, of fulfilling the Great Commission is. Is given here, and I'm going to break this down. Even though there are other passages, so I'm on page 27 of your notes, chapter three, Matthew 28. So he's gathered here in Matthew 28 verse 16. The eleven disciples are gathered, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some, but some doubted. And Jesus came, and 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 said to them. I notice right away he's not talking, obviously, just to there's a body of, of disciples here that follow, right? Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authorities in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of, of the age. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20 is, is coupled with other passages that we would uh be also mindful of Mark sixteen, fifteen, Luke twenty four, John twenty, twenty-one. Uh we'll we'll uh, speak to some of those and give it a little bit the the scope uh of the Great Commission and uh, and actually, uh all the way through Acts one eight of course where he go uh gives the the authority of the Holy Spirit coming and giving power to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, this is not a, a new thrust. This is obviously the thrust. This is the culmination of Christ coming and coming to save the world. And so, this is uh, the culmination as he gives this mandate to the church and sends them on, on this way. Um, page 28. I write a few things here and a few imageries of this. One is just seeing Christ himself as the very uh, – Jesus is the message of the gospel, and he's the very incarnation of the gospel, of the Great Commission, rather. So every time you see in your notes, GC is just for Great Commission. I got tired of typing Great Commission every time, so uh, GC made it a lot more – a lot simpler, and, and young people are into those little short acronyms today, so that probably uh, works better in a way. Uh, I find it interesting. Culver describes the imagery of the Twelve Disciples – in whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, in Genesis 26, to the twelve apostles who now lay the foundation for the church to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's a little warm in here. It's warm in Sunday school this morning. And it's still warm, warm tonight as well. So, thanks Nathan, get that air circulating a little bit. So, as we have the, the image of the, of the twelve through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, of course, we now that image is not lost. Culver says in the 12 apostles who now lay the foundation for the church to also carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the church in that way being a blessing to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to all the earth and carrying the gospel. Um, I thought is interesting as well, Henry Boyer, I mentioned his comment here. He says the, the, the first biblical mandate is to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1:28 but the second is to be fruitful and multiply spiritually by being faithful to the great commission mandate so he makes a comparison between the first command to go and and populate the earth to so now go and uh, be a spiritual spread uh, spiritually be fruitful and multiply spiritually as part of the of the great the great commission so this vision of Christ gathering his bride is one that encompasses the entire world as the Bible describes that will come from east to west, and Matthew 24 gives us that promise before his return. Believers have a promise that before the end comes, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to, in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. I think the church, by and large, we're, we're motivated, we're, we're encouraged, we, we understand this Great Commission, and we, we embrace it. And we want to carry that gospel to the endless parts of the earth. Many of you here, young people here, probably have that desire to say, I want to be a missionary. I want to be in ministry. I want to be a missions. I want to share the gospel. That's part of that spiritual uh, mandate that's been given to us and, and then how we do that. Uh, we describe some of that here. So we have that that commission. that as part of our spiritual DNA. It's part of our spiritual desire and motivation to do so. So I broke down, down one, the, the biblical mandate that we have, and kind of break it down in different areas. I do address... I felt like it was needed to address the historical mandate, meaning if you were to ask me and people, one of the primary key figures in history that comes to mind when you talk about missions and fulfill the Great Commissions is William Carey. My brother was named after him. My brother's Carey, named after William Carey, just uh, the, 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 his testimony uh, in missions. And I want to, to mention three contributions that really gave direction to missions. He's normally called the father of modern missions. Describes why Uh, on page 28 he's considered the father of modern missions. Obviously has contributed a lot. I encourage you to read his his testimony, to read his biography. Like many other missionaries, um, they're encouraging because they take the the Great Commission mandate and they're willing to do everything to to sacrifice. There's no price too, too great. Uh, no commitment too to, to great for the cause of the gospel. And they go, and we're amazed today because we're living in, of course, in the comfort our, uh, of our homes and in the security of our home. And they, they left with uh, a, a very simple desire to answer the call of the Great Commission. And when William Carey's on the scene, he's at a time in England where the church is is not answering that call, and they, the, the church in big part in his surrounding in a way has, has defaulted on that, has, has given up on that a little bit, and we describe some of that here. So William Carey, father of modern missions, pretty much usually referenced uh, that way. His, his primary writing, I wrote this in bottom, on bottom page 28, is called uh, An Inquiry, has been used as a foundational mission document for generations. He's known for his famous quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he's a favorite of, of, uh, of many and has doubtless been used to motivate many to missional action. So, again, uh, don't get me wrong. When I when I mention someone like Milton Carey, some of the changes he brought to missions set missions on a certain trajectory that we still feel the impact today. Uh, it's not indicative of, of, of um, trying to bring cast him in a negative light. It's just a reality of the, the path he set missions on and the influence that he he brought to that, particularly with the writing of the inquiry. So three things, I put down three ways that carry impacted missions. One, first one is that uh, many believe the Great Commission only applied to the apostles. Uh, so he's at a time frame, he's at a time where many believe that this was the, 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 the Matthew 28 passage, is for the, 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 the 12 apostles, it's not for, for the church at large. Uh, obviously if the, if the Lord wants to save them, he'll save them, he doesn't need me to do it, so that that was the environment that he was serving in. Of course, he felt the burden to to respond to uh, missions and response to that by writing the inquiry as an answer answer to that. So it's a great. It's easy to get that on, on the Amazon Kindle. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's free. I've got it. Uh, I don't think it's one of those you have to pay for. It. But he believed that the, every believer needed to respond to the Great Commission, and he makes a case for that in the inquiry, and does a great job doing so. So he was uh, – um, the beauty of this, even though – and we're not going to get involved in, 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 in the, the theology behind it. Some say that he was in the environment where they were hyper-Calvinists. It was basically – God will save him without us. He doesn't need us to do so. And yet even with that, even though most authors credit uh, Carry William Carey for being a Calvinist, he was able to marry God's sovereignty and salvation and the fact that God uses human instruments to, to reach the lost. But there's two other areas that, that carry particularly influenced missions – uh, and before this time, primary missions was, was church movements. They were not uh, the, the work of individual uh, societies or agencies. They were the work of church movements. And when you see the church history, you see the first century, the, the churches through the church fathers, and you see how the church and the gospel spread and churches appeared and grew. It's, it's a beauty to see that but there were church movements before this point in time. Well, two things that William Carey brought to the scene is uh, he formed – second point here is that he formed independently of the church the Baptist Missionary Society. So he really opened the air of modern missions by instituting an agency that would facilitate uh, sending missionaries overseas. And it would would serve as a sodality to gather necessary resources to send missionaries overseas. And even auth- most authors see that as a turning point in-, in missionary work. So before this time, no separate agency was created to kind of fulfill this purpose. They were done through, through churches, and so he instituted that through the Baptist Missionary Society. And the third area I believe is-, is important as well, the area of influence, is, of course, if you're going to have a separate agency and you're going to want to fulfill missions outside the church, you're going to have to have funding for it. So he also creates a way of raising funds outside the church, which is innovative at the time, very common today, but very innovative at the time. But down the third area of influence is that Kerry f- fiercely advocated for human associations that could raise funds that would enable him and others to go. And what he advocated, raising funds for missions outside the church through individual donors, was unheard of at the time. Now, today... He had uh, the slogan, you know, give a penny a week. I don't know if we get very far today in missions if we gave a penny a week. Uh, but I'm not sure what that looks like with inflation. I should have done the inflation numbers to see what that looks like. But he began a campaign that would encourage believers to give a penny a week. Today missionaries are trained and encouraged to raise support base outside the church. Now this is I'm – I'm, I'm really stating this as a fact, as, as an observation, not really making a, a, a critical statement about it. Making it primarily as as an observation, because these things did shape the the way missions took a new direction, and through this and his example and others to follow, started bypassing the church because in his view here you could you could make the case that well the church around him wasn't willing or ready, and so he justified that by by going the route he did, but it laid the course. Did we turn the air down too much for you, Carla? See, it feels great now. And now <laughs> I see coats coming out. <laughs> I know, I know. But I'm uh, sorry. Now I, feel, now I feel bad, but not too bad. to Turn the heat back on, but anyway. So I, I think uh, the reason why I mentioned William Carey because he's a significant person in in missional history and gave really missions a, a different direction. What I, what I do, listen, when I when I read. Uh, Missionary biographies, and they're, they're wonderful. What I'm impressed with is not their methodology. I'm impressed with is with their heart and their passion for the Lord and their willingness to sacrifice. So, you know, you don't throw everything out and say, well, look, he's, he did this, so that makes him illegitimate. It doesn't. Uh, with what the time frame he was working in and what the context he worked with, what I get out of it is is just his, his heart, passion, one, to educate the church. That is everyone's responsibility to carry out the Great Commission, not just – uh, a, a command from the past is still our command today, and willing to do what many of us are, are not willing to do, and that's uh, sacrifice at a great price. Now, you could argue that yes, he lost his wife and family in the process. He could have done things differently, of course, but nevertheless, uh, I would still encourage you to, to read many of these biographies, many of these men who have who have laid the, laid the way and set great examples for for us to follow. And so, encourage you in that way. Don't take this as a trying to. Uh, to, to knock a missionary who's who's accomplished who's accomplished and sacrificed so much so the great commission page 30 is a single mandate and, and and this is one of the significant significant pieces of this chapter is understand that we have a single mandate because what we're going to do as an outworking of this is going to be to understand okay if there's a, if there's a single mandate what is that mandate and how do we fulfill that mandate. So now as a church, what I'm going to do in missions is, is to measure a task, a measure a mission based on how does it fulfill this particular mandate. So a few things about Matthew 28 particularly. Um, I, wrote, I broke it down in bullet points for you to, to kind of pull these, these notes out. One, uh, Daniel Doriani points out that there is but one imperative in Matthew 28 is to make disciples. This single command assumes the preaching of the gospel, conversions, and gathering believers are taking place. So, what they're saying is that basically one thing that you might see missing here, you know, it doesn't talk about going and, and saving people. He talks about going and going and baptizing and teaching. You think there's a piece missing there. You think there'd be going, preach the gospel and get them saved, baptizing them, and teaching them, and make disciples, but there's there's a going which going with the proclamation of truth and something that God is going to save. And then you baptize and teach and make disciples out of them. So there's one imperative is to make disciples with three adverbially Greek participles to describe how to make disciples. So basically he's describing that the way it's written here is that there's only one uh, imperative in the Great Commission is to make disciples. The three others are written in a way that they're adverbial supports to going, baptizing, and teaching. So the text could have been translated as you go as you baptize and as you teach make disciples now the significance of that is going to be is as i look at missions there are those it's not going is not enough just going somewhere and say well i'm, I'm i live in so and so country and well praise god i, would, I don't want to live there i don't want i don't wanna, you know feed off the of goats and chicken feet i mean so uh, praise god you're living there well that's that's not in and of itself sufficient. There was a time, because of where missions was at, perhaps because of um, how aware we were of missions, where just getting to the foreign land seemed like, wow, okay, now I'm here. Now what do I do? Well, as you go, it was only part of it. The task is to make disciples, and we need to k- keep that objective continually in mind because it's easy to get uh, sidetracked with that as well. So the third point here says making disciples is a single imperative of the Great Commission And it's the reason for going in in the first place. Go, baptize, and teach are participles that serve to augment the primary argument of making disciples. So Culver points out only making disciples is a finite imperative verb, which means it governs the understanding of what it means to go, baptize, and teach. Okay, I know it's a mouthful here, but what he's saying is that making disciples governs what it means to go, baptize, and teach. The ultimate purpose is that is making disciples. So, uh, just think of how that's going to shape. how 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 is that going to shape as a church? How we approach missions and how we invest in missions. How is that going to shape as a church our objectives in missions? So, what 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 should we look for when someone says, "Hey, I'm going to be. I want to be involved in missions." What have they been doing? What What have they been doing for the kingdom? and, and, and then t- testimony and witnessing. So even before they go, how are they investing in discipling here? Investing and in growing. And we'll, we'll, we'll break down the discipleship, the uh, piece a little bit later, because the disciple means bringing someone who now follows who? Christ and not not you. So at some point, missions is about allowing the, the church plant, those people that have been reached with the gospel to become followers of Christ independently of, of of you. So that's part of the fulfillment and completion of, of missions. And we'll look at that uh, not this week, probably in about in about two weeks. So it needs to govern our understanding. So that means when we're looking at missions and I talked to to um, Pastor Alan at Heritage and he was he was describing how in their transition to ministries uh, through he said what we've what we've begun to do is look at some of our older missionaries and try to see how does this overlap, how does your ministry overlap with, with the primary goal of making disciples? Meaning, you might be, you know, we we inherited these people involved in different ministries. How does this fulfill the task of making disciples? And they were a little more proactive about it. They gave them a certain time frame to either your ministry has to fall in line with this, or we're just not congruent, we're not reached, we're not pushing or pulling toward the same objective. So they were probably a little more. Uh, proactive and making sure that these things fall in line with with the same common objective and goal so three things here uh, next bullet point down says the word go means to pass from one place to another and I want to make this distinction simply here is that we could describe what it means to go it means primarily I'll define it here in just a moment but it 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 means that how ha- Missions is about going. Does it mean that you have to go cross-culturally? Does it mean you have to learn a different language? You have to cross an ocean? Not, of course, not necessarily. If we have a church plant and we're sending someone from here across the hills of West Virginia to go through a church plant in West Virginia because they're lost heathens out there, then uh, uh, that's, that's, that's ministry and missions as well. So it, but primarily to, to go uh, and then to baptize and then to to teach. The interesting thing simply here I put in the bullet point on the bottom part about teaching is connected with to baptize. Basically, the way it's written, the text reads, baptize, teach. It doesn't say baptize and teach. It says baptize, teach as one connected word. Why? Because my understanding when I read it this way is some ministries focus on the baptizing piece, which is what? Baptizing piece is is the... is the fruit of, of salvation where someone comes to Christ, proclaims Christ publicly and makes them known publicly as a, as a separate entity of, of teaching them and training them and rearing them into making disciples. Those pieces have to be, uh, have to be connected. So that's kind of the point of uh, bringing that to light here. Uh, page 31, two, two critical observations can be made here that, that I, I seek to make here in a way. One, for one, the missionary mandate is not just wrapped in the idea of going to feed the poor, give water to the thirsty, to educate the uneducated, or any other humanitarian effort. At the heart of the Great Commission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Every ministry should be, uh, should be concerned and should keep the focus, and here's where the church comes in. The church helps the ministry maintain that focus of the ultimate objective. Uh, we were in, even supporting the ministry in Ukraine through the war efforts. They came in, of course, with the war efforts. They came in and helped them out with supplies and food. But one of the primary concerns they expressed is that we're, we, we will, we were afraid that coming in with this is going to distract from trying to reach them with the gospel. And so uh, the, the necessity of making sure that that is ultimately the the objective in, in mind. Um the second point here is, on the one hand, this presupposes the proclamation of the gospel. And on the other hand, it means by which it is accomplished, is wrapped in the supporting commands to go, baptize, gathering believers around the centrality of the gospel and teaching the whole counsel of, of God. We'll talk about the baptism issue, which is basically a gathering of believers who, who proclaim the same truth and gather under that. So you go, proclamation, salvation, baptize, as you gather them, teach within the context of the church who've been trained to do so, made disciples who no longer are dependent on man but dependent on Christ alone. And that's that's the, the thrust of, of the Great Commission. I put down a few thoughts here on an authoritative, an authoritative mandate, page 31, number three, meaning the, the comprehensive nature of this mandate dominates the entire Great Commission passage. The, the authority that's given, what, as you read this, there's two things. One, the authoritative mandate as in all authority is given to to uh, christ to do so he says one uh, bullet point number one says first one sees that god gives all authority matthew twenty eight twenty eighteen, to christ for the purpose of his mission which is to be carried out by his disciples the church has full authority to fulfill the great commission and with that authority comes the power of god to do so i mean we we we've been given full authority and full power to fulfill this mission so yes there, there are times where we're going to see out of frustration the the ineffectiveness of man. We'll see the weakness of man. But but don't we see that daily in the church anyway? I mean the daily in the church is it's just evidence of God's grace because of seeing man and his weakness and his frailty uh, in spite of all that, God using them for his glory. And when you hear of salvation testimonies, you don't you hear of the greatness of man. You hear of the greatness of God. And so the point of the church is not to elevate the greatness of the church and how effective the church can be. Uh, how effective it is and how powerful it is and how, how good we do what we do is simply a, a statement as to the grace of God that God allows as a body of gathered believers to fulfill the purpose of the Great Commission. And as miraculous as it is for a church to be gathered, I mean, why, are, why does the church gather? I mean, the world doesn't even understand that concept that we're gathered for one purpose because we glorify the Lord. We have the commonality of Christ. And yet we've been given that same power to fulfill the Great Commission. And all of a sudden we feel like in fulfilling the Great Commission. Well, now we're ineffective in doing that. Now we need now we need professionals to do that because the church is ineffective in doing so. It just it's just it's just frustrating that in doing so we've we've dumbed down the church and we've we've rendered the church uh, hard like the church we've we've taken away the idea that the church had the authority and power to do what God's called it to do. So He's given that command with the full authority and the full mandate, authority, of power that comes behind it. And it, it encompasses all nations, right? Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen. The gospel is sufficient for every civilization. It, but, oftentimes, when we talk about missions, what's put forth of different nations is what? Well, this, this nation is really poor. They don't have two pennies to rub, but you know, and, and they walk five miles to church, and and they're they're a poor country. So that somehow changes the nature of of their need. Or this church over this country over here, where they're they've got all their, their they've got their idolatry, so they're they're bound with that. Or another country where they're wealthy. Well, go go minister to the Swiss, you know, the Swiss are, are a wealthy nation. You're not going to be able to to you know to to, to bring food and appeal them with with food, and so you have all these pieces, but ultimately. The power of change comes through the power of the gospel and that the, the, the need is the same whether you have a dirt poor country and honestly, when I went to Malawi I understood the term dirt poor and here as a dumb Frenchman, you know as I, was, I dirt poor is just an expression that I'd heard, but then I went to Malawi and I saw actually I'm sorry I went to Burundi is where I saw the dirt poor because I saw the I saw the I saw the the holes in the ground next to the house that they built because they built their houses out of the dirt of the ground and and they rained too much so of course the house would melt away. Like the rest of the dirt there, and you're like wow, that's dirt poor. But you go there, and I don't care if you're dirt poor, or I don't care if you're if you're approaching a wealthy businessman, if you're well, if you're approaching someone who's who's bound and enslaved to idolatry, the command and the power of God is the same for one and all. And we don't have to think, well, what's the trick to make this relevant to this culture? What's the trick to make it appealing to this? And what's the trick to make this interesting over here? The power of the gospel is the same, and the basic human need is going to be the same. And so just this this all authority to, to all nations is, is such a, a strong proclamation. And we could just read through because we read these verses so oftentimes. But I tell you, I go to the French, and I mentioned this last week, the, the, the French are – they're beyond God, right? They don't need God. They're, they're smarter than that. They've gone beyond the crutch, you know, and the, our friends will tell us, well, we don't need that spiritual crutch in our life. It doesn't matter. I preach it in the same gospel, and we, we deceive ourselves in thinking, well, I've got a poor man over here. He's going to be more receptive to the gospel. Why? Because he's got a, he's got a need, and, he, and, and his need looks to God. Okay, but in reality, the power of the gospel can pierce through that prideful French person as it can to this poor Malawi or Burundi uh, and so just preach with that authority and, and power and then the last point simply here is that we've been given all authority all revelation and, and the church lacks nothing we don't lack any additional truth that is needed to to accomplish what is has been given to us so we we go we go knowing that we go and it's not um, it makes me think of Simply admiring, uh, what I wish in missions is simply that we, we learn to appreciate the bride of Christ and learn to, to be amazed at what God has, has given the church to fulfill and be confident that God knew what he was doing when he asked the church to fulfill that great commission. Verse thirty, uh, not verse 32, but page 32, as you go, the first part of that, uh, that command but down a definition here of missions for us as the going part specifically missions is the intentionality of sending commissioned individuals beyond the boundaries of a local congregation to make disciples so yes it could be across virginia if the need is there it could be across the world it could be across culture it could cross oceans but ultimately it's the being intentional about sending commissioned individuals means individuals that the church has laid hands on when you're commissioned a church lays hands on you to affirm your ministry to affirm your gifting to affirm the work of god in your life uh there's there's few moments in my life that are more memorable than when i kneeled before this stage right here in this old auditorium with jane and men came around laid hands on us and prayed over before we left. there's there's few things more memorable in my life than that because we're here long enough for the church to say, yes, we're, we're affirming your ministry, and you're going to go serve on our behalf. And that's that's the beauty of, of being part of going. Uh, Jeffrey, might I just say, just for um, the perspective of this, it's beautiful because when you're investing in the church, you're just exposed to so many ministries. And then you're able to go over to the field that you're working in and you have all, you know what I mean? You get that experience of working with youth. and I mean, we did, you know, our church used to have a bus ministry 30 years ago. I mean, we did bus ministry. We did, we did youth ministry. We did VBS. We, we were all the time here, part of the orchestra, part of the specials. I mean, anything you could do to learn and to grow and for people to be able to see you and for you to grow and learn and be trained and mentored um, by men that are still here, so whenever you're, it's a blessing. you get when you're in a in a church context like this, it can be very confusing because you yeah, have everybody has their little specific areas of ministry. When you're in missions, it's not you don't have just that one lane you're you in. You're like you do it all. I mean, you're like you're I play the, you I, I learned how to play the guitar strictly so I could lead music on on, yeah. on a mission field. So I can only play a few chords. Don't ask me to do anything fancy, but is enough to 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 bring melody to, to music. And I learned guitar just for that purpose. Uh, and yes, when you're you're doing, I don't care if it's nursery and Sunday schools and cooking food for everybody, whatever it is, you're it. And you're the, you're the model. And and many people that you're ministering to, you are you are that one steadfast example for them to follow in in all the areas. So your family has to be solid. Your kids. Can't be uh, going haywire. Your your wife's part of your ministry. All these things are not in little boxes. Here we can have these little compartmentalized boxes, but uh, right, you 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 pour into a ministry here, and people can affirm you. And yes, the growing part happens on the field as well. You don't you know. There's a big growing learning curve on the field, but what a blessing to have to have the church as your. Um, as your support in, in doing that. So, But now when a commission, second bullet point here under as you go, when a commissioned individual goes, he is a representative of the whole body which sends him. For there to be missions, there needs to be one who sends and there needs to be one who goes. It's very basic, is it not? But you're going to have a lot of missions missing these two pieces. You're going to have a lot of missions misses this component of to have missions... Uh, George Murray says it well. He's a well-known missions author. Uh, he says, Missionaries don't just go to the lost and unreached. They are sent to the lost and unreached. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very, very simple phrase and statement. But I guarantee is lost in half the people who serve on the mission field. You don't just go to the field. You're sent to the field. And uh, there needs to be an, an authority that uh, affirms that and... Um, Serves in that in that capacity. Page thirty three. I talk about truth bearers. There's one thing. Let me see how far. Mm, I don't think I get as far as page thirty four. I'm just looking at my notes and see how far I want. I want to get. Let me. I'm going to come back to page thirty three. It's. It's. Uh, we're right at six o'clock, so I want to I want to do just one thing as as we talk about that. Look on page thirty four. We'll come back next week to page thirty three, and we're, we're we're getting caught up a little bit. So there's going to be what well, I focus on two things in, in this chapter here. One is that we're sending truth bearers. Remember the foundation is truth is a church. So remember as we're sending people, we're sending. I put down there it's important. We're not just sending a pretty missionary card with a pretty family. And the sweet little kids who could sing and and all, and all the, all that kind of stuff. I've learned my kids learned a missionary picture pose really quickly. You know, take a picture. You know, they all, all learn. And the dime, they wear picture pose really quickly. Now, my parents made me made all the kids sing. He goes, oh, can your kids sing? I'm like, no. My father, yes. Like, there you go. So, experience experience all those things. But but. But truth bearers mean the church is not first and foremost sending people. Above all, we're sending truth and light in the darkness of the unbelieving world. Now, imagine the impact, that what that means, the significance of that. That means whenever we're sending someone overseas or to serve in another capacity, we're not just sending someone that we think is cute and that we like, that's got good jokes and good, good charismatic person. We're sending truth bearers. And if they're not equipped to teach and to make disciples then you've got a problem and because you can play the banjo uh and i've seen on the mission road i've seen banjo players i've seen bagpipe players i've seen all kinds of you know uh and and they don't ask people that support us because jane's got a great personality i was boring but jane had a great personality he had a cute family cute kids and then do very little beyond that. And yet we're carrying the gospel, and you're going to be in an environment where you're going to have to defend truth, and uh, that's what we need to make sure that uh, that we're equipped equipped to do so. Page thirty four. I want to give this one consideration as you go. Put down confusion, and I forget who who said this. It's not me, but. Yeah, Clown in his book of the church writes this, and I think he makes an excellent point. He says, confusion emanate, emanates from those who go with humanitarian aid. He says they are received on the basis of what they have to offer. Pastor Ali gave me a book years ago on when hurting helps. It talks about how we've impacted missions sometimes, and sometimes we haven't helped missions. We've hurt them by, by the way we've helped them. Interesting, I thought this statement was very powerful. He says, when you go with humanitarian aid as your drive, you're received on the basis of what you have to offer. A friend of mine went to Niger. He came to France for a year, language training. He went to Niger after that, and uh, we stayed in contact with him. He goes, first thing he had to do on Sunday morning to tell him, I'm not giving anything out on Sunday. People come into church and line up. Because it was the, the missionary gave things up, gave things away on Sunday. And, of course, it's easy to load the church up that way. He said, I won't give anything out on Sunday. And that, that, that hurt his attendance pretty quickly. He says, so if you, if you lead with what you have to give on a humanitarian side or financially, whatever it is, you'll be received on the basis of what you have to offer. A messenger of Christ, on the other hand, will be received on the basis of how people view Christ. There's a lot of power in that statement right there. If I go as a missionary and I go and I carry the message of the gospel, it doesn't mean I can't help with with other needs. But if I go with the with the message of the gospel, I will receive on the basis of how they view Christ, and that brings a lot more clarity as to where they stand with Christ. It brings a lot more clarity as to who the Lord is drawing to Himself and who are who is not interested in the gospel. But when I lead with humanitarian aid and I'm I'm received on the basis of what i've got to offer and that's where a lot of confusion comes into mission then you're you're they're confused as to why you're going and then it, of course it impacts the ultimate objective and or the ultimate goal in that as well so next week we'll look at uh we'll come back and look at truth bearers why do we sin we look at the sentence of christ we'll look at that briefly and then we'll we'll attack the next question page 35 who is sent is everyone a missionary? Uh, and we'll answer the questions about what does it mean to have a missionary call. We'll break that down. here are some criteria of what a missionary call looks like. How can we biblically look at that? And so we'll look at those pieces those pieces next week. So looking forward to to getting in some of the weeds of it. You know, you try and lay the right foundation to where now you understand, okay, so what do you need in a missionary? Well, you need a missionary this. And then what do you, who do you send? Who's qualified to go? In what capacity? And uh, so you try to... St- to, to frame that and then i think it's, it's it's helpful at the end to to lay out here's how we can get involved in missions as a church here's how we can bring missions before the church so we can be praying for those that we that we support so that we can be an encouragement to them so we further cause of the gospel so we training people in that regards so we'll be unpacking that at the end as well so we have perhaps some of you would have a desire with the time that you have to to invest in that way in the church as well it'd be super super helpful so Let's close our time in in a word of prayer this evening. Father, I'm thankful that I had the unmerited favor and grace of of being able to go and, and, and carry the gospel and many, many, many conversations around the coffee table or around the table just drinking coffee and sipping coffee and eating with friends and just sharing with them the gospel. I think there's so many people who would respond by not believing that there's a God who would judge, not believing that there's man would be accountable for his behavior, not believing there's a creator God. But every time we we would lead with the gospel or we'd see the, the power of the gospel either to harden hearts, the gospel does that work as well, or draw people to, to you, Lord, what a beauty it was to see that as well. And so I'm just thankful, Lord. I think that you allow us as a church body to take the, the gospel. You've equipped us. You're us the mandate. You're us the resources. you give us the power to do so. Lord, may we just take that task uh, to heart. So thank you for our time this evening, Lord. I know that even in the, some here might have desires to to serve you in a missionary capacity may we may help affirm that help direct those steps help them be tooled and equipped to do so and we'll give you lord the glory in all of this we thank you for our time together in your name we pray amen